What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. King Nebuchadnezzar, he looked down into the fiery furnace, and what he saw blew his mind away. He's like, what is that? He counts, well, there's Shadrach, one, Meshach, two, Abednego, three. We just threw him into the fiery furnace, but there looks like there's a fourth person in there with them. Number one, I wonder if King Nebuchadnezzar is thinking, why didn't they all just burn up the minute they hit this fire, which is seven times hotter? We had guards who were killed just throwing them in, but here they are in the middle of this horrible fire. And, and it looks like they're just walking around, high-fiving each other, checking out the inside of the furnace, just standing there chatting. But, but I swear, King Nebuchadnezzar is thinking, there's not just three, they're not just talking to themselves, there's a there's a fourth person down there, and I wonder if he runs down the platform, and you know, I can imagine he's looking down into the top of the furnace, he's like, I gotta check this out, so he goes down to the sides of the furnace, now these furnaces in their sides often had a door that you could open throw in more coal, more wood to get that fire going. And so I wonder if he asked one of his servants, hey, open the side of the door. And so he gingerly opens it because he doesn't want to get burnt like those other guards. And how comes this flame? And I imagine as the flame settles down, Nebuchadnezzar and his men look in and they say, yeah, look, I, I, I count again, Shadrach, I see him, Meshach, Abednego. There's a fourth man in there. There's a fourth man in there. And King Nebuchadnezzar turns to his men and says, Look, don't you see? There's, d- d- didn't we throw three men into there? And it says there in Daniel chapter 3 that the men responded, Yes, we, we did. Oh, oh, great king, we threw three in. We did. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, But look. There's not just three in there. There's Shadrach, there's Meshach, there's Abednego, but there's one, and he says, that looks like a son of the gods. He looks like a son of the gods. Now, I don't know how Nebuchadnezzar, how did this guy look like a son of the gods? What what does that look like? I, I wonder if in the middle of this great heat, great flames, that this being maybe shone even brighter. See, King Nebuchadnezzar calls him a son of the gods. And in the Babylonian pantheon of gods, right, they had one major god, but they weren't monotheists. They didn't just worship Marduk. They worshiped other gods, Nabu and Ishtar. And they worshiped a pantheon of gods. Still back then, they had a sense that there was man, and then there was the realm of the gods. There was a difference between where man lived in the realm of the gods, and when he looked down in the pit, and when he saw this 
being in the fiery furnace, he knew this was not a normal man. This was a person from that realm, a son of the gods. Now, who exactly is this? We don't know. You know, the Bible doesn't make it clear. Some people say it's a straight-up angel that's just there walking with them. Some people think it might have been the angel Gabriel, because later on in the book of Daniel, Gabriel shows up and talks to Daniel and gives him message after message. And some people think this was Gabriel walking with him. Others say, no, I bet this was the pre-incarnate Christ. Remember, the Son of God has existed eternally. And before he became human form, and before he took on the human flesh, you know, he existed forever as the Son of God. And many times in the Old Testament, the Son of God has come down, they call it a theophany, where God comes down and takes human form and talks to man so that they can better understand what's happening. And many people think this was Jesus Christ before he was born, eternal Son of God, come to help his people. All I know is it says in the book of Hebrews that God says, I promise I will never leave you nor forsake you. And later on in the book of Isaiah, it talks about how God says, you know, I'm going to be there through your fiery trial. And literally here, God is with his people in the middle of a fire. Talk about never leaving you nor forsaking you. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was, I am amazed. And so it's funny to me, he, he opens that side door and, and it says he yells out to them, Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You can imagine all the flames. And then I always think too, what were they talking about walking around in there? What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and this angelic, supernatural being, what were they talking about? Hey, you know, they could have done a little better job doing the inside of this furnace. Did they talk about that? You know, did they talk about, wow, this coal is really hot. Look how hot this stuff is. I don't know. I, I'm a little tired of heat. Yeah, I, we, we should take a vacation, maybe up into the mountains where it's cooler. Or maybe they just talked about the wonders of God. And the angel told them all about Yahweh and how pleased he was with them and how glad he was that they stood up for what they believed. And I bet that angel supernatural being encouraged Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and encouraged them not to give up the fight. But again, all these flames, lots of sound. And in the middle of that, there's King Nebuchadnezzar looking through a hole, and he's got a yelling, hey, 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 guys, come on out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. I want to talk to you. So maybe they opened a bigger door. Maybe they threw in some water. Got those flames down a bit. Maybe they turned it way down. And out come Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That angelic, supernatural figure, gone. But they all saw him. The King Nebuchadnezzar knew what he saw. And I can imagine they run up to him and they, they sniff him. And I think they look 
at each other and they say, as it says there in Daniel chapter 3, they didn't have any smell of smoke on them at all. And they looked at their hair and it says there that none of the hairs of their heads were singed at all. They looked at their clothing. They weren't harmed at all. No smell. Now, if you've ever sat around a fire for a while, you know, you like to make s'mores or cook your hot dog over a fire and you like to go camping. Well, one of the best things about it is you get that smell of the campfire lingering with you for days, right? Well, these guys were in the middle of one of the hottest furnaces and they didn't smell like smoke at all. Their beards weren't singed. Their hair on their head wasn't singed. Their robes weren't burnt at all. They came out perfectly whole with no sense of anything bad or being hurt by the fire at all. When Nebuchadnezzar saw that, he looks at his counselors. And I think he also looked at the men who snitched on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I bet they were there watching the whole proceedings, gleefully happy that these Jewish exiles would no longer be their bosses. King Nebuchadnezzar, I can imagine, he sees them and he looks at his second in command and he says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And he set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. You guys stood your ground, he's essentially saying. You guys believed in what you believed and you were not going to ever let down your god. You would rather die than follow any other god. And I wonder if King Nebuchadnezzar turned so those men who snitched on them know what he's about to say next. And he says, therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. His voice echoes off the surrounding furnace. And as it says there, you mess with these guys I'm going to tear you limb from limb and I'm going to lay your house in ruins if you mess with these guys I wonder if those Babylonian rulers who are trying to overturn Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego if they held their sunk their heads in shame and they were like wow we better go hide we better be quiet. We better not touch these guys at all. Now remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were already high up in the Babylonian government. Well, it says there at the end of Daniel chapter 3 that the king promotes them even higher. The only person higher than them was Daniel. And he not only promotes them, it says he promotes them in the province of Babylon, right there at the seat of power. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have more power than ever before. 
But the beauty of the story is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stood for truth. They followed their God no matter the cost. And they even said, we know that God, Yahweh, will save us from the fiery furnace. But if he does not, we're going to serve him rather than bow down to you. And by standing up for their faith, here King Nebuchadnezzar is moved to see this is amazing what their God did to save them. And like he said, there is no other God who rescues in this way. There's no other God like that. Now, I don't think King Nebuchadnezzar converted to following Yahweh. I don't think he did at all. How do I know that? Well, in Daniel chapter 4, this event occurs about 25 to 30 years after the fiery furnace. And in this event right here in Daniel chapter 4, we see something interesting. Daniel chapter 4 is essentially a letter. Before it's been stories being told about King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and how Daniel has been interpreting these dreams. Well, so far, Nebuchadnezzar has had two dreams. God works in Nebuchadnezzar's life through these dreams. Well, in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, he has a third dream. And King Nebuchadnezzar, though, in Daniel chapter 4, we don't hear about the story in the moment, how it's happening. No, Daniel chapter 4 is a letter. And it's a letter to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. He's basically sending out a letter to all his people because he rules the Babylonian kingdom and all the known earth at that time. That's how much power King Nebuchadnezzar had. And he said, peace be unto you, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Then he says in verse 3, How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Wow. From a guy who worships Baal, Marduk, worships all these other gods. He names Daniel Belteshazzar because he wants Daniel to take on the name of his god, Baal. From a guy who literally names Daniel after his favorite god, here at the beginning of Daniel chapter 4, he talks about the most high god who is building a kingdom that is everlasting. And it will endure from generation to generation. Now this sounds like a man who's following the one true God. This sounds like a man who is converted to saying there is no other God but Yahweh. But what would make a man convert? If seeing three men thrown into a fiery furnace doesn't convert you, and then you see an angelic being and how Yahweh saves them, if that doesn't convert you, if having Daniel come in and tell you what your dream is, even though you haven't told him what your dream is, 
and then interprets it accurately, if that doesn't convert you, remember, this guy is full of pride. If that doesn't convert you, then what will? Well, in Daniel chapter 4, we find out. And it takes on this first-person narrative. Nebuchadnezzar is writing this letter to all the peoples, all the people in all the earth, throughout his kingdom. And he starts by saying, hey, you know what? I was just at ease in my house. I was prospering. Again, this is 25 to 30 years after the whole fiery furnace thing. Things had been going pretty well for King Nebuchadnezzar. He'd expanded his kingdom. He'd put out some revolts here and there. He'd gotten a lot of wealth. He'd built one of the seven wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which is essentially a 400-foot mountain. At the top of it, his wife could hang out in the gardens and stay cool in all that heat. I mean, this guy was marvelous in his engineering, in his warfare, and as it says there, he was sitting at ease on top of the world. But then, those stupid dreams, he goes to sleep, and he saw a dream, and as it says there, he lays in his bed, and the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. Again, he had another scary dream, so he called all the wise men, all the magicians of Babylon to come and interpret this dream. But this time he told them what the dream was. And it says there in verse 7 that the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, which remember Chaldeans is another word for magician, astrologers, sort of a, a person who predicts the future. And the astrologers came in, he says, and I told them the dream. But guess what? None of them could interpret it. None of them knew what it meant. None of them had any clue. So, guess who he calls him next? It says there in verse 8, At last, Daniel came in before me. At last. All right. Why does he even mess with the others? Who was the one who correctly interpreted his dream all the other times. Who was it? It was Daniel. Why doesn't he just start with Daniel? I have no clue. But finally, at last, he's like, all right, I'm going to ask Daniel. And the king says, Daniel, I want you to tell me what my dream means. And notice what it says in verse 9. I want you to tell me what my dream means because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretations, the visions of my head. Please, you've got to tell me. He sees something special in Daniel. He says, you follow the one true God and the spirit of the holy gods is in you. I think he sees something different about Daniel. You know, it makes me pause and think, you know, at work, do people see something different about me? Now, I think with Daniel, there was something special because he could interpret dreams. And we're not called to do that today. 
And he had an entrance, I want to say, into that other realm that God allowed him to foresee the future. And a lot of Daniel is prophecy. And he saw some things that, as a prophet, he will get to see. I'm not saying you should have that sort of difference at work or at school. But I do think people should say, you know what? You're not like me. You don't swear like I do. You don't talk about people behind their back like I do. You don't cheat on your taxes like I do. You don't fudge at work like I do. What, what, what is different? But yet, you're not obnoxious about it. You're not weird. Man, there's something different about you. And maybe that might draw them to Christ. Maybe it might, in a positive way, draw them to reconsider what Jesus Christ and his claims are all about. Well, Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar said, you can see dreams. You've, you've got the spirit of the holy gods in you. You've got to tell me what this dream means. And so then Nebuchadnezzar, again, is writing this letter. And he says, I then told Daniel what my dream was. He says, I, I saw this tree in the midst of all the earth. And its height was massively huge. And it kept going up and up. Well, this tree grew and got bigger. And its top reached all the way to the heavens. And finally, this tree was so tall, so big, that everybody, all the ends of the earth could see this tree. And man, when I went up to it and you know, touched its bark was beautiful. And it says its leaves were beautiful. Maybe he plucked off an apple or maybe he plucked a banana. I don't know. He plucked a fruit, it says. And, and he ate it. And it says its leaves are beautiful. And its fruit was abundant. So all the animals and, 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 and all the beasts of the field found shade under it. And the birds of the heaven lived in its branches and it says, all flesh fed from it. They were eaten of the fruit. They were protected by this tree, both the humans and the animals. This tree was a delight. It was awesome. And it was massive and it was mighty. But then, King Nebuchadnezzar says, I saw a watcher. Now, the word watcher is really interesting. Basically, in Daniel, a watcher is a holy one. Some people believe he's part of this divine council, this group of angelic beings that were around the throne of Yahweh. And this watcher, whenever you see watcher, think supernatural being or Ultimately, you could think angel because he's a messenger of God. This watcher, this angel, he comes down from heaven. I can imagine he's flying head first. Sword in his hand. Flaming sword. You got to have a flaming sword. And he lands on the ground. You know, he's got that superhero landing. On one knee, you know, with your hand down on the ground. And he stands up and he proclaims to Nebuchadnezzar and he proclaims to all the world. He turns to this beautiful tree 
and he yells out, chop down this tree. Lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. All the beasts, you're going to flee from under it, and all the birds, you're going to leave its branches. Chop down this tree. So I can imagine, out comes another watcher. Maybe a big axe comes up. Bonk. 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 And they keep chopping this tree down. They rip off its fruit. They get rid of the leaves. They make this just the most desolate tree you can imagine. And then finally, the last chop of the axe. And down comes the tree. This massive, mighty tree absolutely destroyed and maybe they chopped it all up turn it into firewood and the only thing left of it was a stump a stump sticking out of the ground where this huge tree used to be there was this massive stump and the watcher says all right i want that stump the most high god he wants that stump to be bound with a band of iron and bronze. Now, we're not exactly certain what that meant. Some people think what that meant was to literally put iron and bronze over the top of the stump to protect it. Others think it, with the Hebrew there, it's maybe putting up a fence around it of iron and bronze. But either way, the idea here is we are going to protect this stump. Why would you protect a stump of a tree? Well, then the watcher goes on. He says, let him. Now, that's just a tree, right? All of a sudden, it turns to the word, let him? Where did we get that from? But the watcher says, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a Beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. And then he says, this sentence is by the decree of the watchers that comes from the Most High God. And why is this decree being sent out? He says, so that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will, and sets it over the lowliest of men. Then the watcher looks around and says, let's go, and maybe King Nebuchadnezzar watches them go off back to where they came. This dream scares him to death. And he says, hey, Belteshazzar, that's the dream. You've got to tell me the interpretation because all the wise men, all my magicians, all my astrologers, they weren't able to tell me any of what this dream meant. But you are able. You have the spirit of the holy gods in you. So Daniel listened to this dream. And it says there in verse 19 that he was dismayed for a while. And we don't know really how long, you know. I don't think it was a day. I don't even think it was half a day. I think he just looked dismayed for a while, maybe. 
thinking about this for an hour because Daniel knew the interpretation. He knew what this dream was all about. King Nebuchadnezzar looked at him and said, hey, I can tell by the look on your face that you're not happy. He says, but don't be dismayed. Don't let the interpretation of this dream alarm you, Belteshazzar. I won't hurt you. Just tell me what it means. Daniel looks at him and says, you know what, king? I I wish this dream and this interpretation was meant for your enemies. I think he's really trying to tell the king, I like you. I've worked with you all these years. You know, I I respect you, and I wish this was for other people, for those who hate you and for their enemies. King says, hey, I want to know, what is it? What's it mean? Don't be dismayed. Just tell me. And so Daniel leans forward, and he says, this is the dream. This is the interpretation, O king. That tree that grew, it's you. You know, that tree that grew to to reach the top of the heavens and was so mighty and strong? It's you, O king, it says there in verse 22. Look at what you've grown to become. You rule over all the earth. You provide people with food. You provide people with shelter. It says there, your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion is over all the earth. But you know what? That decree from that watcher, you're going to be chopped down, king. You're going to be chopped down because your pride has become too great. You have become too full of yourself. And not only is that tree going to be chopped down, your kingdom is going to be destroyed. Not only that, but you're going to be driven into the field. You're going to be driven out of this beautiful palace. You're going to be driven from among people, and you're going to live with the beasts of the field. And you're going to eat grass like a cow. You're going to give up all this beautiful food, and you're going to start eating grass and leaves and dirt. And you're going to be wet with the dew of heaven, it says there, because you're going to be out there, and you're not going to have shelter. But King Nebi, listen. This is only going to happen for seven periods of time. Seven periods of time. Seven years are going to pass over you. And when those seven years are done, you're going to realize that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And you're going to realize who this true God is. And at the end of those seven years, Remember that stump king was was covered with bronze, was protected by iron and bronze? Well, that's your kingdom. Because after those seven years, the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom is going to be confirmed, and it's going to be given back to you so that you will know that heaven rules. Then Daniel looks at him and gives him this one idea. King, you know what? I think he's basically saying this could all be avoided if you repent. If, as it says there in Daniel chapter 4, verse 27, all this could be done away with if 
You break off your sins by practicing righteousness. And if you break off your iniquities by showing mercy, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity, King, this doesn't have to happen. You can repent. You can say, I give up my pride. I give up my sin. I follow the one true God, Yahweh. Yes, I'll do that. King, you could do that. Do that today. Do that now. You know, I would jump at that chance, right? Look what he's seen Yahweh do in the fiery furnace, interpreting dream after dream. And he's looking at Daniel right before him, one of the mightiest men in his kingdom who has been so good and gracious to him. Why would you not follow Yahweh after everything this guy has seen? Which points to me how merciful God is. He does not destroy men in his wrath. He does not destroy people even though they deserve it. He is patient and long-suffering, the Bible says. And he gives Nebuchadnezzar a chance. Well, God patiently waits for Nebuchadnezzar to repent, but he doesn't. And it says, at the end of 12 months, a year later, he is given Nebuchadnezzar chance after chance, January, February, March, whatever. A year later, God says, all right. You're going to have to be punished, King Nebuchadnezzar. And it says that as the king was on his rooftop, looking over at beautiful Babylon and everything that he had. Now, Babylon was pretty amazing, you know. It's interesting, the layout of Babylon, it was a perfect 15-mile square. There were wide streets and strong fortifications, public buildings. Again, like I said, the hanging gardens of Babylon was there. Beyond the walls, there was sufficient land for pasture and for feeding crops. And then as he's standing on his roof, he sees millions of people. 1.2 million, they think, at this time is in the city of Babylon. He looks out and he sees a deep, wide moat that surrounds the city. And then the, the river Euphrates goes right through the middle of the city. And it's beautiful to look at. And then they have these massive walls. The walls were 350 feet high and 87 feet wide. 350 feet high and 87 feet wide. Nobody's going to bust down those walls. And here... King Nebuchadnezzar's looking out at all of this wonder. And he says, is not this great, verse 30, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my wood. And at that moment, King Nebuchadnezzar he doesn't even finish the sentence. I can imagine he's eating a beautiful, luscious orange or an apple, some wonderful date maybe. But as he's talking, all of a sudden, it happens. Drops the fruit. He looks over and 
and there's a little patch with grass in it. He's like, well, I'd m m much rather eat that. And he goes over and he starts maybe picking at the grass or maybe there's a flower on a ledge and he starts picking at that and maybe his entourage that's with him is like, hey, this is odd. What's, what, what, what are you doing, King? Wouldn't you rather eat that fruit? And maybe he starts mumbling to himself and and he starts to maybe start to growl at a don't touch me and he runs away and he maybe he starts to run over and he starts eating grass and bizarre stuff and people are like what is this this isn't right and i can imagine in rushes daniel he's like back off it's happened the prophecy the proclamation of the most high god has started to come true He's talking in pride, and then God brings him low. And it says that in the middle of all this, as he's eating and starting to become the very thing God said would happen, a voice came down from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know the Most High is God over everything. He rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. I wonder if as he's becoming this animal-type creature, as Daniel's standing there, I wonder how many heard this proclamation. Was it only the king in his mind? Did Daniel hear it as well? I don't know, but it says that as he began to devolve in his brain, as he began to devolve in his actions, he was driven out from among men. You know, many people believe what he had was a disease that some people have seen. It's called zoanthropy. And again, some people have seen this illness in modern times. Basically, with zoanthropy, you think you're an animal, and then you begin to act like one. And I can imagine the king dropped down onto all fours because it says he starts to eat grass like an ox or cow. And it says that during the seven years, his fingernails grow long like claws. It says like the claws on a bird. And it says his hair during these seven years becomes so long it began to look like eagle's feathers. And I can imagine that everybody's afraid at first. But again, I know Daniel's there. And he's looking after his king because he knows the prophecy, right? The prophecy was that at the end of that seven years, Nebuchadnezzar's going to be restored. His right mind's going to come back to him. And he's going to get the kingdom back. But there's so much political intrigue in that court. You don't think somebody's going to try to get the throne away from King Nebuchadnezzar? You don't think someone's going to try to get the throne away from him during that seven-year period? 
They're going to say, hey, look, that man's insane. He's over there. We've had to build a pen for him. We had to push him out of the city. We had to make a whole garden for him out there where we feed him animals, you know, where he can hang out with the other animals and he's eating grass. And this guy is nuts. I mean, look at him. He's up in a tree right now trying to fly. He thinks his, his hair is so long. He looks like feathers. He might be able to fly. Oh, look, clunk. He just hit the ground. That's not that impressive of a king, is it? Oh, look, look at him over there. He's hanging out with the cows and walking around with them. This guy's insane. But Daniel, I think he worked behind the scenes. He worked for his king. I think he squelched power, political intrigue. He put out fires again and again and again. Because he knew he had to protect this throne for his king. Well, it says there in Daniel chapter 4, at the end of those days, he's eating grass for the umpteenth time seven years later. You know, he's hanging out with the mole rats, digging on the ground, when all of a sudden, <gasps> his mind comes to him. He looks at the animals around him. And he's hanging out with a dog, and he's like, Hey, I've been, been enjoying digging holes with you here, but why am I doing this? What? And he looks down, and he's covered in long, nasty hair, and his fingernails are so... What was I doing? Why was I howling at the moon two days ago? This makes no sense. And he, and he looks around. He says, I'm King Nebuchadnezzar. I've got to stop this. And then he remembers. And then he thinks of the Most High God. And it says there in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, that finally, when he finally understood who God was, he should no longer be as prideful, so full of himself. I think at this point, this is where King Nebuchadnezzar converts. I think this is where King Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm not following those gods. I'm not following those other gods. I'm not going to follow the ultimate God of myself, no. I'm going to follow the most high God. Because it says there, he lifted his eyes to heaven. Reason returned. And the first thing he does is he blessed the Most High and I'm going to honor him who lives forever. King Nebuchadnezzar is a changed man. And he comes back to his kingdom, which Daniel's been protecting. And he comes back, and the first thing he does is he writes this letter. He wants everybody to know. I think in many ways he's trying to evangelize. He's trying to say, hey, don't worship your other gods. You've got to worship the Most High God. Worship him. Because his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And its kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? And then he 
ends the chapter with, Now I, King Nebuchadnezzar, rightly restored, back on the throne, the first thing I want my people to do is I am going to praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Man, what a testimony. That's exactly what God did to Nebuchadnezzar. He walks in pride and he was humbled. But in the end, King Nebuchadnezzar said, I've got to honor this God. And I'm going to extol and honor this king forever. What an amazing story. And I just want to encourage you, whoever you are, whoever's listening to this, whatever age you might be, number one, if you have never asked the Lord Jesus to save you, you've got to do it. Jesus is one day going to return as king of all kings, lord of all lords. He's going to establish a kingdom on this earth that will reign forever and that will never die. And he's going to rule in justice and peace. But it also says he's going to send away from him into everlasting judgment, into hell, those who have rejected him. Those who have said, I'm not going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to follow him. No, I'm going to follow me. I'm going to follow Satan. Well, if you choose that, you're going to be cast in the outer darkness forever. Why not choose Jesus who died on the cross for your sins? Your sin is makes you deserving of the wrath of God and of being shut out from the presence of God forever. And God the Father knew that, so he sent his son Jesus to die in your place, to die on the cross for your sins. And then three days later, he rose again from the dead. He rose, he resurrected. And now we don't have to fear death. All we have to do is follow Jesus and put our, our, our faith and our loyalty in him and say, I'm going to follow Jesus the rest of my days. Peter said on the day of Pentecost, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's all you have to do. If you want to be saved, say, Jesus, please save me. Please save me. And join a church and learn more about the word and and, and get around other Christians who can encourage you as you pursue that Jesus and honor him as God and king forever. For those of you who are Christians, I just want to encourage you, don't be afraid to stand up for your faith. Don't be afraid to stand up for truth. Because the people that are making fun of you, the people that are pushing you down, the people that are threatening you, if you don't believe what I believe, you're going to lose your job. You're going to be excommunicated from all our friends. Nobody's going to want to talk to you anymore. We're all going to think you're too good. or We're going to call you all sorts of names. We're going to call you some bigot. If, if you don't believe what we believe, I just want to encourage you. This story shows that we are serving a God whose kingdom is going to rule forever. Don't be afraid the people who rule now don't be afraid of contemporary authorities and powers because we are following the true king 
his name is Jesus. And one day he will return and set up a kingdom that will rule in righteousness and justice and love eternally. So believe the Bible. Trust him. Pursue truth. Pursue Jesus. And don't be afraid what it will cost you. That's what the story of Daniel, that's what the story of King Nebuchadnezzar says over and over again. Follow the one true God at any cost because it is worth it. Baldhead Bible Podcast is created by Dr. John Katzian. Music composed and performed by Elijah Katzian. Edited by Lincoln Katzian. If you'd like to listen to more Baldhead Bible podcasts, please subscribe. New episodes added every week. 